Have any of you out there in podcast land seen the TV show Fargo? Well, I have because it's an awesome show. It's it's one of my favorites. Particularly the first season is just so good. Second season is pretty good too. And last night I was watching I had the DVDs because I don't have cable TV, and so I'm I'm watching the DVDs and and I'm like, okay, just one more episode. Uh, it's late at night. I got to go to bed. I, and oh, okay, just just one more episode. Okay, just one more episode. <laughs> and I ended up watching the second half of the season in one sitting, which I think is like five or six hours. And I got to bed really late, like around three in the morning or something. And then I quickly fall asleep because I'm so tired. And then my cat meows and I wake up and I look at the clock and I realize I've slept through my alarm. And then it dawns on me that Paulette was coming over earlier than I woke up time <laughs> to podcast. And I quickly called her because she had called me a bunch of times. And I'm just standing out in an alleyway. And she's just standing out in an alleyway. Holding a sandwich being sad. And then I quickly ran some water through my hair to make myself look just slightly less ridiculous and let her in. And here we are recording a podcast about five or ten minutes after I woke up. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome to the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I am chair of the Couple and Family Therapy Program at Antioch University, Seattle, and I'm also a licensed marriage and family therapist. And I am Paulette Perhatch, writer and American layperson. So you were saying that you are writing a piece about the gal that got fired from Yelp. What's the story with yeah, that? Yeah, so the story is that she wrote a really like poignant, sad story about what it's like to try to live on her take-home pay was eight fifteen an hour in San Francisco. And one of the things I didn't say in the story was like, you know, I mean, I have like conflicting feelings about it, but you know, like I got into grad school in San Francisco and I didn't go because I'm like, I can't afford to live in San Francisco. And like, she wanted to live near her dad. And so what I really wrote about is kind of how we want this, we want the narrative of our life that we want. We want to be able to say like, no, I'm going to live near my dad. That's important, you know? But really what my story is about is like, no one is going to take care of you because you have a sad story, which is a truth that people are finding out on a scale that we can hardly even imagine as middle-class Americans. You know, I saw a lot of myself in her, so I'm not judging her harshly, you know? Um, but when I was around her age, I had to get my ass kicked a little bit by life. And I think you do kind of have to get your ass kicked a little bit until you're like, Oh, I can't just like, Oh, like this is the thing I found out. Like life isn't just going to work out because it's my life. You know, like you got to freaking do the math. I mean, I think the one good thing about complaining about this sort of stuff is alerting people to the reality of how much some people are getting paid. Yeah, I think we should have a higher minimum wage. Like, And what I said is I will continue to vote and fight for a system where people who work 40 hours a week can afford to live. Yeah. You know, I think there should be like a, you know, if you make this much in this city, we should say like, here's where it's reasonable that you might live, you should be able to afford to live in that area. 
That's what I think. And I will keep fighting for that. But in the meantime. Right. In the meantime. You got to. Mostly I said you have to like keep making yourself more and more valuable because people are selfish and you have to bring to them something they're willing to pay more for. Right. And it's she this this woman is probably I'm just going to take a guess and say she's privileged and could probably do a lot of different sorts of jobs. Yeah, she got a, a English literature degree. Yeah. You know, and it's like I think that's I think that's great to do, but you also have to be like I want to study literature. I love literature. How am I going to make money? Right. And you can do the two things simultaneously, you know? Yeah. Right. And that that's the thing that I find that really people of many generations had a problem with even people in my generation, generation X or Y or whatever mm-hmm. we were called is that when, and, and I suffered from this too, to some extent, uh, but I think less so than, than some of the people that I knew was that we were told that we can do anything. We should follow our passion. And uh, whereas people older than me, older than us, we're told, look, get a good job. Yeah. Get, get a good career, career man's job, right? I mean, people who lived through World War II, I have, I really got educated about World War II through a lot of novels. Um, of my favorites is All the, Le- All the Light We Cannot See. Another one is Sweet Francois, which has the most amazing backstory. I won't go into it now, but totally recommend that book. And you're like, oh, some people don't get to like... Sorry, part of... <laughs> Waking up late is not remembering to turn my phone off. Some people, you know, learn the sad story that they can't just be a writer in San Francisco when they want to. Some people get strafed as they're fleeing Paris and like, you know, see hundreds of dead bodies as they're refugeeing, you know, and like, like there's so many other sob stories so that she told what sounded like a sob story felt offensive to some people. Oh, really? Is that? Yeah. I see. There was a lot of entitled millennial talk around it. Okay. So, yeah, I saw a headline. I didn't read it, which was, woman bashes woman who, you know, yeah. complained about Yelp. So, <laughs> yeah. And then I saw another t- uh, tagline that was, woman bashes woman who bashes woman who worked it. So, so, yeah, so I guess there's goes. a lot of it. I mean, yeah. The, the, the thing is, is right now we're in a situation where... If the top one percent just reduce their income by you know a third or something, everyone could have like twenty twenty five dollars an hour, yeah. and there's a problem with that in 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 my opinion. Not that I, I don't know what to do about that exactly, but that's not the way things were in the past. Things were much more equitable in that way in terms of the differences between the lowest income people and the highest income people. And so, can't we just all agree that? Uh, the lowest paying paid people should, you know, get paid more um, as long as we don't like destroy industry and business along the way. The other, the other thing is, is this idea that we tell everyone, which is follow your dreams and do, do what you like. This, these are wonderful pieces of advice that I have actually told young people, myself, clients that I've worked with. And I occasionally do career counseling, uh, not in the strictest form, but in, you know, just talking with my clients about it. But the thing that should be equally said along those lines is also think about the bottom line. Yeah, I think if you're going to pursue your dream and I'm doing that, I like I want to be a writer. And but 
and I was thinking about what parents should say to their kids who are like, I want to be an actress and like, just be like, great. Like you're going to have more work to do than someone else who just does a nine to five. Like the amount of time that I'm quote working is almost every day till eight or nine. I'm doing something for reading or writing from like 7am till eight or nine at night. I usually am doing something that is quote working, but when it's like writing, it doesn't feel like work. I love it. You know, so I'm either making money or writing or now miraculously after like probably 10 years, some combination of two, I'm writing and getting paid for it. It's amazing. But like, it's just a harder road and you can't expect anyone to like, you're responsible for that road, you know? Right. So not only are you supposed to work at your quote unquote dream, you know, if you have a dream to be an actress you're going to have to take classes. You're going to have to get a mentor. You're yeah. going to have to be in p- plays that you're going to have to be in many productions that don't pay you anything, or yeah. maybe you even have to pay to do it. So you can just get those reps in. Not only that, totally. but at the same time, you have to think about the bottom line in terms of how much money do, do what's the likelihood, what's the reasonable likelihood regarding your income trajectory on this career path. For instance, getting a literature degree I'm just going to take a guess and say if we went back in time to that woman at Yelp and said, look, with this degree, this is the these are the jobs available to you. Here's the career path, and here here's how much money you're likely to make, and here's how hard it's going to be to, to earn that money. I'm just going to take a guess and say she would have said, I don't want this degree. Mm. I, I, you know, I, I want to earn more than $8 an hour. There are, you know, there are degrees like, you know, in IT or in human resources or in business managements or something, you know, there, there's, there's other kinds of degrees that are more likely to actually give you an income because once you're in your thirties, late twenties, thirties, you start looking at your life and saying, I don't want to live like, like a college poor person anymore. I I want somewhat of a nice place and I want a car, but I like, I don't, I don't really need nice things, which is like, I've had, kind of both lives like in Peace Corps I had nothing and I had so much fun you know and then I did the whole like tech job thing for three years and you know it was like the kind of lifestyle where if I walked past a store in the mall and I saw a shirt I liked in the window I could go in and buy it and I was like oh that's nice and it was fun to have that for a little bit but it's not as fun as doing what I love every day like I like to wake up and measure my life and like what am I doing today who am I talking to who am I around what kind of work am I doing I mean what like so right now I'm in a phase where I have half quit my day job and I always want a car that runs you know but my car I have right now has like 140,000 miles on it's 20 years old and it's great I love it you know like I ran into a post the other day in one of like the parking garages i like hit a pose and i was like (laughs) you know and like that's why i love crappy stuff like i don't so i think you're allowed to configure your life in any way that you want to but if you do want to do the arts it's just more work but it's not that that's a bad thing and i've thought about coding at this point or you know i don't know i probably would have double majored if i could go back i would have double majored in something in like journalism or English like I I did journalism and something else where I could that was a fallback that I could have made money on that I still found interesting like I I really love like I ran a corporate university for a while and I loved it like I love that kind of work I love development work like in people so find the thing that like is nerdy 
and valuable that you still like, but yeah. keep going after that number one dream job. Right. The the difference between you and the people perhaps that we're complaining about is that you're not you're not complaining. You're you're just saying I'm making an informed choice to and I don't expect to make a ton of dough right away. And I realize I'm following my dream as a writer and I'm going to take an income hit. But I wasn't like that before Peace Corps. Like I, and I, I think everyone's like, oh, millennials, millennials. But let's look at the environment. Are you a millennial? Yeah. I'm, well, I call myself Granny Millennial because I'm the, one of the first years. Of millennials. So this, um, this woman, Talia, is Because you were born article, what, what 82. year? 82. 82. So I'm a 33 and she's 25. And so I say like when I was 25, I was totally like that. And we're raised in this environment where the emphasis on your personal narrative is manipulated by marketing. You know, you need this, like your personal brand and you're, you know, you're so freaking special is what we're told. And we're totally handed over to advertising TV. Like we're just, it's a pretty unhealthy environment that kids are raised in today. And so that they come out of it kind of with the emphasis on my life and me, 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 it's not, it doesn't happen in a vacuum, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So, so the gal at Yelp, any, any like follow up with her as she is, has she got another job yet? Or <laughs> So some people did a GoFundMe campaign for her and raised a few thousand dollars, which will Okay. Kind of help bridge the gap to her next job, which is great. Yeah, I, I had thought about this. Like, someone might not want to hire her because yeah. what if she doesn't like her pay and then quits and then creates this whole bad press? Or because Yelp, Yelp is a place where I, I'm actually a huge Yelper, mm-hmm. uh, and I the, I discovered Yelp. I always have to sort of explain this because a lot of people hate Yelp for a lot of reasons, which are fine. I discovered Yelp because I was like, holy crap, there's this website that catalogs every restaurant and you can upload pictures and you can rate these restaurants. And to me, it was basically like a travel log that I could mm, keep. Yeah, It was like, I, 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 I didn't want to share my ratings with other people mm. or my pictures. I just wanted a place to put my pictures because I take pictures of food and as a typical Asian and I, <laughs> and I, 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 sometimes I like to flip through. I have something like 3000 pictures on Yelp. Oh my God. I, yeah. I mean, uh, a restaurant is kind of an experience, so it's kind of, yeah. I don't know. And I like to flip through or I'm traveling and I take pictures of, of you know food that I'm ta- eating while I'm traveling. And, and so it's like, I can flip through these pictures and go, Oh, I remember that that plate of nachos or I I remember that octopus or I remember that sushi. Mm. And so the other thing is, is I, I love to eat at new restaurants. And so I'm always trying to figure out the best restaurant to go to. And so I was like, Oh, this, this, this gives you pictures. It gives you ratings and other people talk about it. And then I discovered that it's also kind of like a, um, a social networking site where you actually have friends and then I discovered that <laughs> Yelp has Yelp events in various cities, and one of the cities is Seattle. And I got into the Yelp crowd. There's like a Yelp. There's a there's a whole. Oh, co- I know. I worked with two people who were way into it, and they had their little badges and. Yeah, I had badges. Yeah, we <laughs> we had badge like competitions. And, not that I'm not equally as nerdy about other things. Yeah. I'll never forget when me and 10 or 15 other Yelpers went to uh, a bar 
and I was the first one in to check in there. Yeah. And then 15 other people instantly checked in as they were walking in the door. And I got a badge, which was like one of the most coveted badges, which was essentially like, it, it, it makes it look like I dragged everyone there because I was the first one there. And you get this, you get this badge like King Yelper that, you know, or Pied Piper or some kind of, anyway, the point is, is it was, it was one of the best moments of my life. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, these Yelp, these Yelpers would have parties and what, what they would do because they realized that the Yelpers are the people who write about restaurants and will recommend restaurants to other yeah. people. They, they'll have these exclusive events just for Yelpers and they'll give them free food. And the Yelpers hate it. And then that's like manipulating their, cause then you have the effects of, um, there's this rule about reciprocity, which is totally where free samples come from, where yeah. if you feel you feel indebted to them when they give you free food. It's totally. Awful. But then you get free food. I mean, still uh, bottom line free food. Right. So I'm not sad about that. Right. And then I started realizing, because I started hearing from business owners, and they were saying, they were telling me things. Well, actually, okay, let me even back up a little further. Then one time I, was, I, w- I went to a pizza place in Green Lake. It was a new pizza place. And I gave them not a terrible review, but but not a great review. Mm-hmm. And then, and this is back when I cared way more about my Yelp situation. And then I had my Yelp review, that bad Yelp review taken down. This is like, I don't know, this is like seven year, six, seven years ago. My Yelp review was, was, was taken down. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why was that? why was that Yelp review taken down? I didn't swear in it. I mean, I was just saying I just didn't like the pizza. It wasn't very good. Yeah. And so I put it back up or I reworded. I was like, well, maybe I, maybe I said something inappropriate or something, which doesn't sound like me. Okay. So I rewrote it. It was taken out again. What? How many stars? One or two or something, you know, not bad. Not good. Not good. And, then I looked at another person's review, and it had this story in there that said, these guys are assholes, I gave them a bad review, and the owners keep flagging my, my reviews as being inappropriate and taking them down. Oh. So, so then I, <laughs> I lost it, because at this point, <laughs> I still thought, this is like late, nine, late, late zeros, I was still under the impression that the internet was fair, and oh, yeah. so I decided I was like my blood was boiling and so I was I said hey this is this is unfair and I wrote up this my experience and I posted it to to that restaurant and then I think I got like a phone call or an email or something directly from the owners I assume and it was an accented man and he was saying something like you better take that down or Oh my god. Or else, you know, oh. and this kind of thing. No bueno. Yeah, and and I just thought oh, and that gave me a really bad taste in my mouth. So so then yeah. I contacted Yelp and yeah. I said, "You have a situation here, you know, da, da da da." And I got like a very political response like, "Well, you know, we we sometimes when uh, reviews are inappropriate. They get flagged and they get taken down. And I'm like, no, you don't get it. There's some. There's an owner of a restaurant that's not allowing people to give 
their bad pizza, bad reviews, and they're inti- they're basically kind of like a little mafia. And like sometimes inti- owners will choose to break your kneecaps. Yeah, if you leave a review, and there's nothing we can do about that. Right, and and and, and they what I was hoping they would do was they were going to go after these owners. Then fast forward a little further, and I and I know some people who own a spa downtown, and they were saying that when that Yelp will actually come to them and say, look, if if you want your good reviews to be toward the top of the list, and if you want your bad reviews to be sort of hidden from view, then you have to pay money. Whoa, I did not know they did that. Yeah, so Yelp is essentially like the mafia too. They're like, hey... You know, I would hate to see your business go under. I would hate to see this one star be the first review people read. Exactly. My God. And so pay up. Because Yelp doesn't make, you know, Yelp, yeah. you don't have to pay money to use the website. It's free. The way they make money is to have businesses pay for advertising or pay for subscriptions, essentially, to get preferential treatment. And then I was like, oh, my God, do you mean like these, you know, these these reviews aren't, aren't real, you know? And, and so, so now I use Yelp with a huge grain of salt. Do you think it affects the overall star rating that they give? I'm assuming. Yeah. Mm. I I have Yelp swag. I have a Yelp lunchbox. When I used to play live in my band, because I, I play so hard with my with my right hand. That sounds funny, but when I play guitar, electric guitar, I hit the guitar so hard mm-hmm. that it will cut my my hand and my wrist. My God. Yeah. And I mean it's not like it'll happen right away, but it's just the, the constant like scraping of my arm across the strings. And what I wear is I wear a a, a wristband. And the wristband I wear is a Yelp wristband. <laughs> <laughs> they still got you. They still got you sucked in. Yeah, anyway. Well, let's finish with a couple of tougher bluffs. What do you say? Okay. On average, the happiest couples have sex at least once per month. Tougher bluff. Uh, tough. I posted this one on Facebook, and a lot of people said tough. Why do, why do you say tough? I mean, that's only 12 times a year. Yeah. But it's couples of all ages, right? Yeah. I mean, sex really does start to fall away for a lot of people in the in the older years. Yeah. Um, and I think that you know, sex can be kind of the canary in the coal mine for happiness. Like, if you hate someone, you certainly don't want to have sex with them. Yeah. Um. So that's what makes me think that's tough. Yeah, you're, that's all tr- true, except for the old people thing. I'll get into that. Oh, really? Oh, good. Yeah. Uh the the. The true research found that on average, the happiest couples have sex at least once per week. That's that's the but but the problem is when I say at least once per month, it's still basically tough because once per week is at least once per month. But anyway, the happiest couples have sex at least once per week. What do you think about that? Seems like a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Have you seen? um, Is it? Is it? uh, God, what movie? What Woody Allen movie is it? I think it's. I think it might be Annie Hall toward the end. They're both in therapy. I haven't seen that. I have to see it. And Woody Allen, Woody Allen's talking and he's like, or no, uh, I think it starts off with Annie and she, she's like, oh God, you know, he wants, you know, we have sex all the time. <laughs> it's like two or three times a week. It's like all the time. And then, you know, smash cut to Woody Allen and he's like, in his psychoanalysis, he's like, 
we barely have sex at all. It's like only two or three times a week. So that's that's the. That's I'm gonna the put guy. that in my IMDb app, which I learned you can keep a list of all the movies you want to see. So it. so I'm a freak about IMDb. Oh my god, I think you're a freak about a lot of things. I have rated. <laughs> Two or three thousand. I've been, oh my goodness! When I when the internet first came about, mm-hmm. that one of the first websites was IMDb. Yeah, I remember. And I instantly saw the usefulness in IMDb, and that I could catalog every single movie I ever saw. And so I have a very long list of every movie. All right, I'm seen. adding Annie Hall to my list. Oh yeah, Annie Hall is one of my favorite movies. I have a poster of it in my office. I love you. Philip Morris is also on my list. That's a really, really funny movie. Surprisingly funny that movie. Jim Carrey and Ewan McGregor. <laughs> God, so good. Um, yeah. So on average, the happiest couples have sex at least once per week. That seems like a lot to you. That seems like well, geez, that's once per. It should you know once a month. That should be good. I mean, a week will go by real easy. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, I would say the happiest couples. I would say the happiest couples one at least once a month, but once a week seems more than I would think. You think about people who've been married 15, 20, 30, 40 years. They can be perfectly happy and not be so sexual. Someone told me that um, I would have to check the statistic, but she said that like up to 40% of women find themselves to be more kind of just not interested in sex as they get a little bit older. Well, this study found that despite common stereotypes, men, you know, that men want sex yeah. more than women, is that there's no difference observed based on gender or age or length of relationship. That's, that seems to like go against what I feel like I know by being a living human being. Well, what this research might be pointing to is when you're asking people, hey, a person who's you know, 40, 50 years old, who's been married for 20 years, how often do you want to have sex? And they're just like, you know what, I, I, feel, I don't really feel like having sex that often, and I, I'm, I'm good, you know, and uh, blah, blah, blah. Well, what this study might be pointing to is they're just saying that to make themselves feel better. Now, every individual is different, and studies like this are basically just studying bell curves and averages. So certainly someone, and there are plenty of people that don't want to have sex ever. That's just their thing. They just it just doesn't, you know, crank their chain, so to speak. But many people that I talk to, by the time couples will come to me, and by the time they come to me, they have had years of difficulty and also years of basically not having sex or maybe sex mm-hmm. once a year, like on their birthday or something. Like I'm married with children. Yeah. <laughs> and really, they they only had sex once a year. Oh my god, I cannot believe how much I used to watch that show, and I was way too young to watch it. Uh, and I just remember it was on Peg's birthday, and just the dad was like a condemned man, just go like going up there. He's like, oh, it's so funny. <laughs> I was. Uh, this is why I think I'm so um, demented. Demented. I was watching shows like that way too young. <laughs> love and marriage. I hated that. I hated the marriage. intro song, but I loved that show. Yeah, that was actually a pretty funny show. <laughs> and the neighbors. Oh man, what was her name? The, oh, that's the, too far into the depths of my my middle school mind to even try to go. Bud and what was Applegate's character's name? I have no idea. Um, and so they haven't had sex 
at all, really, maybe even for years, and their intimacy suffers. You can have a totally happy relationship on average and not have sex. You can do that. But to to truly feel connected and, and to have a kind of flexibility or looseness in a relationship, that, that's usually what I find is like, if you can function together, you can you can cuddle even, you can, and cuddling can actually make up for it even if you don't have sex. If As long as you're having physical warmth and affection, that, that can actually be all that you need. Sometimes that's all sex is. It's just an opportunity to, it's like advanced cuddling, shall we say. Yeah, that's why I charge so much for it. <laughs> you know that you say that, but because Americans are so deprived of touch, there are professional cuddlers. Uh, I know, and I joked with my boyfriend about becoming one, and we were like, we're crossing, this guy's crossing the street in front of us, um, you know, and my boyfriend was like, you can cuddle that guy, and I was like, I don't want to cuddle that guy. <laughs> um, so that ended my professional cuddler. It's true, it's like... I love to cuddle. I yeah, love but, to cuddle. but anyone off the street... Yeah, no. Someone that no one else wants to cuddle. Oh, yeah, no thanks. (laughs) But I think it's a great idea. Uh, One, I think it again points to the fact that Americans are undertouched. Undertouched. Oh, I just started taking a dance class. I started taking waltz classes. Yeah, I love to take classes. Waltzing. Waltzing, and you. I went with my boyfriend, but that's like ballroom dancing. It's like ballroom dancing. You feel like old timey and fancy, and. But you dance with other partners, and just to have someone else's hand in your hand, it becomes fine pretty quickly, but you do realize, like, oh my God, we don't touch people. And even in you know a lot of other countries, people will come over, and the personal space thing in America is our personal space is so much greater than in other countries, and people will be like all up on you, and you're just like, ah! Right. Especially now with the internet and everyone, you know, staying home. Right. And especially us in Seattle because we're very Norwegian, Swedish influenced. Yeah. I had to adjust my southernness. Right. When I came up here. Yeah. So, yeah. So a survey of more than 25,000 Americans collected over four decades. Psychologists at the University of Toronto, Miss Sauga, Miss, Sauga, Mrs. Sauga, Mrs. Swaga. I don't know. Uh, let's see. Well-being tended to increase with more frequent sex, although well-being did not increase further with frequencies of more than once a week. Mm. The findings only applied to people in romantic relationships. And again, despite common stereotypes, they didn't see they didn't see any differences around gender, age, or length of relationship. This is research published in the social in social psychology and personal personality science. All right, tougher bluff. Going back to school can enhance cognitive capacity in older adults. Tougher bluff. I think tough. You are right. Yes. University of Tasmania. <laughs> you just imagine Those devils. Yeah, just imagine all the, out. all the all the students. You know, woo! Uh, let's see. Ninety percent of participants displayed a significant increase in cognitive capacity compared with fifty-six percent of participants in the control group who did not take any college courses. This is research published in Neuropsychology. All right, tougher bluff. Emotionally supportive relationships are linked to higher testosterone. Emotionally supportive relationships are linked to higher testosterone. Tougher in bluff. In whom? 
in uh, whom? In, in who? men and women. One of those. Yeah. So if hmm. so, if someone's in, in an emotionally supportive relationship, or they're experiencing an emotionally supportive relationship, it raises their testosterone. That's what I'm claiming. That seems bluffy. It is bluff. You're right. Yes. Emotionally supportive relationships are linked to lower testosterone. What about estrogen? Do they increase estrogen? I don't know. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't talk about that. University of Notre, Notre Dame, they found that men who reported receiving emotional men, sorry, they found that men who reported receiving emotional support from two or more sources had lower testosterone levels than men who reported no support. This is published in Hormones and Behavior. <laughs> I love Hormones and Behavior. <laughs> um, tough or bluff, parents' unrealistic aspirations for their children can harm a child's performance in math classes. I would think that is tough. You are right. Oh, my God. I'm killing it today. Yeah. Yes. University, Usually I suck at these. University of, of Reading or Reading. The study found that children of parents who had high but realistic expectations for performance in mathematics did well, but when parents' aspirations exceeded reasonable expectations, the children's achievement was lower. So... With your children, the point is, by all means, have realistic expectations. Don't under undersell them, but also don't overshoot. Don't say, you know, if, if your kid is, say your kid's basic range is they're capable of getting 50 to 90% on a test. And you, you, so you're like, you can get 90%, you can do it. And that will actually help them. But if you say, you can get 100%. You, you have to get 100%. Yeah, or you have to get 100%. This will actually have their performance decrease. So that's interesting. In, in light of what we were talking about earlier in terms of the millennials being told they can do anything, I wonder if this actually is a part of that. You know, I really love that book, Mindset, a lot. I know I've talked about that before. But um, yeah, it's, it's weird. Like You can't do anything. I mean, my first... Uh, talking talk about inappropriate shows, my first dream, dream job was to be a fly girl on In Living Color. But <laughs> I can't be a fly girl on In Living Color. I'm five foot ten. My knees are like grapefruits and I'm really clumsy. <laughs> so like, I, like you can't do anything. You can do a lot of things if you work hard enough to get them. But you can't do anything you want. You can't do it. You cannot be J-Lo. Only Beyonce can be Beyonce. Some people can be Beyonce-ish more than other people. I am about the opposite of Beyonce, though I love her. And what happens, you know, as I'm getting dressed in the morning listening to Beyonce, we'll stay in my bedroom. But, you know, we can all pretend at home. But once you get in the real world, you have to go with what you're good at. Like when I think of pressure on math, I just think of those terrible multiplication tables they would give us and the kid next to me would like zip through it and I would just be like, ah, and the more nervous I got, the worse I did. Right. So. Well, that does it for another episode of Psychology in Seattle. I'm, I think I'm finally sort of waking up. That's good. Please take care of yourself out there because. You deserve it. It's so enthusiastic. You deserve it. Oh my, you deserve it. You're a millennial. You deserve everything. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.